Now, it's Friday, it's a quarter to five. Here is Simon Marks's American Week. Well, Eddie, let's start this American week with the news of the day. There was no agreement in Geneva this afternoon after Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov held their crisis face-to-face talks over Ukraine. At the end of another long, tense week, the Russians continue to have more than 100,000 troops massed on the Ukrainian border. The Americans worry they're not there to see the cathedrals and might be about to launch an invasion. And Mr Blinken did not sound like a man who necessarily believes the promises furnished today by his Russian interlocutor. Uh, We've heard Russian officials say that they have no intention of invading uh, Ukraine. In fact, uh, Minister Lavrov repeated that to me today. Uh, But again, we're we're looking at uh, what is visible uh, to all, and it is uh, deeds and actions Uh, not words that make the difference. One of the words on the lips of Sergei Lavrov today was hysteria. He accused the West of concocting the entirely false notion that Russia has sent 100,000 troops to the border because it's thinking of devouring its Ukrainian neighbour. And having decided not to eat Antony Blinken for lunch in Geneva, although at one point he looked like a man who was seriously contemplating it, the wily veteran of the Russian Foreign Ministry offered this commentary on how the talks had gone. Our American counterparts once again tried to push to the forefront the issues at the border between Russia and Ukraine. They tried to condition everything on the need of the so-called de-escalation, which has uh, turned into some kind of a mantra. But at the end of our meeting, we agreed that next week the U.S. is going to present us with written answers to all of our proposals. Like irritated schoolmasters, the Russians keep insisting that the Americans must deliver those written answers to their demands. The homework was due to be handed in today, but the Americans presumably told Mr Lavrov the dog had been at their satchel. So instead, Mr Blinken, sounding just like I used to in my Latin class, said the US promises to get the Russians some paperwork next week instead. We've said all along uh, that uh, we intended uh, not only to respond to the concerns that Russia has raised, but to share our own concerns, uh, which are many about the actions that Russia takes that uh, we see as a threat to security. Having digested what we've heard over the last week, to really determine whether there is um, a path forward for, for dialogue and for diplomacy. That path forward, if it exists, was made substantially more complicated this week by none other than Mr Blinken's boss. President Biden marked the first anniversary of his inauguration with a nearly two-hour press conference at the White House. He probably should have quit while he was still ahead. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. In fact, that answer was a disaster for the president. Even as he continued speaking, White House communications staff started assuring reporters that he didn't really mean to suggest a low-level incursion of Ukraine by Russian forces would be okay. It's the full-scale invasion the US and NATO has a real problem with. And that wasn't the only gaffe in the president's remarks. On display at that much-too-long press conference, the Joe Biden who thinks a Russian invasion is about to happen. My guess is he will move in. 
He has to do something. The Joe Biden who doesn't think Vladimir Putin has decided to invade. I don't think he's made up his mind yet. And the Joe Biden who doesn't quite know what to make of the Russian president and suggested... I suspect it matters which side of the bed he gets up on in the morning as to exactly what he's going to do. Back in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, President Volodymyr Zelensky was understandably burning the phone lines to Washington, trying to clarify whether the president had in fact just given the Russians the green light to take at least a slice of Ukrainian territory. In a furious tweet, the man alongside whom the Americans say they stand shoulder to shoulder observed that there is no such thing as a minor incursion. On Thursday morning, President Biden sought to extinguish the fire that he himself had ignited. Uh, I've been absolutely clear with President Putin. He has no misunderstanding. If any, any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion. But the damage was done and the Russians were salivating. Take a listen to what pro-Kremlin analyst Mark Sloboda in Moscow told Ian Dale on LBC last night. This American septuagenarian president is rather famous as a gaffe machine of putting his foot in his mouth, but this was cunningly scripted. I think that what Joe Biden is actually trying to encourage is that if Russia does decide on a military intervention uh, in Ukraine, that they would be much happier if that intervention would be limited uh, to uh, the Donbass region um, that is in uh, Kiev regime control, rather than, say, going for a decapitation strike. Just 10 days after the Americans were convinced that Vladimir Putin was the one seeking an off-ramp to avoid confrontation, the Russians now believe it's Joe Biden who's in a desperate search for an exit. It is dangerous stuff. There were other ways in which the president damaged himself at that press conference on Wednesday. Facing more truly appalling opinion poll numbers this week, he ended his first year in office with 68% of voters telling pollsters the country is on the wrong track. And And on the all-important issue of his handling of the economy, his approval rating has fallen to just 37%. At the press conference... How do you plan to win back moderates and independents who cast a ballot for you in 2020, but polls indicate are unhappy with the way you're doing your job now? I don't believe the polls. And for the audio purists out there, no, they couldn't get him a decent microphone. Historians will wonder why a two-hour press conference in 2022 sounds like it was recorded on a wax drum. They will also wonder about this answer from President Biden when he insisted that he hasn't overpromised and underdelivered. I didn't overpromise, and but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. I did not anticipate that there'd be such a stalwart effort to make sure that the most important thing was that President Biden didn't get anything done. Think about this. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. Now, not even the most confident Democrat thinks that President Biden has outperformed. Yes, he can point to substantial achievements, the passage of the American Rescue Plan, his historic infrastructure proposals and the smooth rollout of COVID-19 vaccines, even if nearly 40 million Americans still won't take one. But his big problem is not with Republicans. They were never, ever going to help him out, as he should recall from his eight years working alongside Barack Obama. His problem is 
with Democrats failing to get behind his domestic agenda and, as we've charted on this programme for months, bickering among themselves. But instead of addressing that, he wanted other people to blame, including the American people themselves. He says they just don't understand how much he's achieved. What I have to do, and the, and the change in, in tactic, if you will, I have to make clear to the American people what we are for. We've passed a lot. We've passed a lot of things that people don't even understand what's all that's in it, understandably. American people overwhelmingly agree with me on prescription drugs. They overwhelmingly agree with me on the cost of education. They overwhelmingly agree with me on early education. And so we just have to make the case what we're for and what the other team's not for. So he says he will hit the road, travel the country, look the American people in the eye so they can get a measure of him and he can overcome the administration's messaging problem. But at least one community of lifelong Democrats has already reached the conclusion that they've seen enough. We have two paths before us, one that leads to the nation the Constitution promises and one that leads deeper into division and injustice. That is Andrea Waters King, the daughter-in-law of slain civil rights leader, the Reverend Martin Luther King. She and other family members used Monday's bank holiday honoring him to launch a broadside against the president for failing to do enough to secure the passage of crucial voting rights legislation, laws that would stop Republicans in states across the country from making it harder, particularly for black Americans to vote. MLK's son, Martin Luther King Jr. We're here to say to the president and the United States Senate, you were successful with infrastructure, All right. which is a great thing, but we need you to use that same energy to ensure that all Americans have the unencumbered right to vote. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 48 hours later, the effort in Congress collapsed. Two Democrats torpedoed White House efforts to rewrite Senate rules to secure the legislation's passage. Prominent African-American leaders are furious, especially given that on Monday, Vice President Kamala Harris indicated she understood exactly what's at stake. We know the threat we face. We know that this assault on our freedom to vote will be felt by every American, in every community, in every political party. We know that if we stand idly by, our entire nation will pay the price for generations to come. They knew it, but they are being accused by black leaders of having stood idly by. On the other side of the aisle this week, there were fresh glimpses of what might lie ahead for the country. The Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, was asked for his message to black Americans who fear their voting rights are under assault. Well, the concern is misplaced because if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans. Of course, African-American voters are Americans, although perhaps not always in the senator's mind. The Trump family found themselves in boatloads of fresh trouble this week. The Supreme Court says the former president cannot block 800 pages of his presidential papers from making their way into the hands of the Congressional Committee investigating last January's insurrection on Capitol Hill. That committee is now seeking to interview Ivanka Trump, his daughter, known to have made several efforts 
Roberts on the day to get her dad to call the deadly riot off. Also wanted for questioning all the members of the president's crack legal team who, in scores of courtrooms all over the country, were thrown out on their ear for advancing the big lie that the 2020 election was rigged. Donald Trump's son, Eric, we learnt this week, was interviewed by investigators in New York who now say they have voluminous evidence of fraudulent and misleading practices within the Trump business empire. Court papers revealed that Eric Trump pleaded the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination more than 500 times in interviews with investigators. What does that mean? Over to our US legal analyst for his incisive interpretation. So there are five people taking the Fifth Amendment, like you see on the mob, right? You see the mob takes the Fifth If you're innocent, why are you taking the Fifth Amendment? It's a good question. I've got a feeling we might be asking it again soon. There is, by the way, always either a tweet or a quote, and sometimes both. And today, in America, there is widespread sadness after the news that Meatloaf has left the building. He died last night at the age of 74. I know you thought I was going to play Bat Out of Hell, but the thing about Meatloaf is that he expresses the brash, cocky, self-assured America of Ronald Reagan in the 1980s, the country whose president never said, Mr Gorbachev, tear down this wall unless you feel like keeping some of it up. In Meatloaf's America, life was always about to get better, even when you could hear the planet groaning like a broken-down machine. Can't you hear? I don't know, Eddie. Maybe it is all going to be all right. Although the sirens are screaming and the forests are howling way down in the valley tonight. Simon Marks's American Week back next Friday at a quarter to five, and we'll talk more about meatloaf in the next hour. This is LBC. I'm Eddie Mayer.